I am so excited to have Pastor Paul Stevens with us, not only him, but his wife, Renee, as well, because it, just the, what they, the impact they made in my life many years ago. It all began 20, 39 years ago and three weeks. I came to a Sunday evening service, and I didn't understand all that was going on. I didn't, wasn't sure. I wasn't saved. I was just, God was dealing with me. I, if I had thought about running out, I probably would have, but I, all my friends went to the altar, so I went there, and the, I feel a hand on my back, brother, can I pray with you? I look up, it was Pastor Stevens, and so got saved that night, got baptized that night, and it's been a great privilege. I have loved the Stevens first, yeah, let's just welcome as he comes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I forget about those things unless they remind me. But what a what a great delight it uh, was back then to uh, be part of a move of God on Cape Cod. My wife and I just stumbled into that, and God moved very powerfully. Your pastor and a number of others uh, still saved to this very day as a result of what God did there. And I'm glad uh, to be here with you. Uh, I was here preaching. 39 years ago, when Eric Strutz was pioneering here, I came and preached. I don't remember what month it was, but I don't remember it being cold, so that kind of narrows it down, doesn't it, to uh, probably in the late spring or summer, and he had a good little core of people there. Uh, I don't know if anybody here now was there then, maybe not, but anyway, that was uh, what God was doing with building a foundation and establishing a great work of God. And I'm very appreciative to have been invited to come and be with you. Keith has been, uh, well, let me just say he's been talking to me for quite a while about coming. And um, I finally relinquished to that request. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalms 142, the book of Psalms 142. Every one of you here tonight at the very least, will have something going on in your life that is frustrating you. And at worst, whatever it is that is frustrating you can be quite debilitating and it can flavor or impact almost every day in every situation and circumstance of your life. And we know that this is the nature of life. Even though we are Christians, we are born again, we pray, uh, we know that there is power in the name of Jesus. We live in a hostile world. We have an adversary, and we know that circumstances do not always go our way. So the question is, in the way that I see a lot of believers uh, living their lives is simply surrendering to the frustrations of life and accepting them as normal without making an effort to do anything about it. Or over a period of time, we just get so frustrated we quit doing anything about it and we just accept the dysfunctional as normal. A number of uh, months ago or a few years ago, I became aware of this. It's a flag 
that we're going to put up and show you. And most people that I ask about this don't know about it. It is a flag with a pine tree and a white background, and it says, Appeal to Heaven across the front. This is actually the first flag that was used to represent the American colonies before and during the Revolutionary War, the Stars and Stripes, the first colonial version of the Stars and Stripes didn't get, uh, wasn't uh, utilized until about a year uh, or so into the Revolutionary War. It was actually uh, George Washington before signing the Declaration of uh, Independence, uh, he commissioned this uh, as the first flag to represent the United States. Well, it wasn't the United States then. Uh, it was a few colonies. Uh, but he uh, designated that this would represent uh, our country. When he authorized the forming of our Navy, this was the flag that was flown on the few ships that we had accumulated and built. And the inspiration was that General Washington knew that we were outnumbered, we were facing the most formidable Navy and military in the entire world in the form of Great Britain. Our army was a ragtag group of volunteers uh, ill-equipped, uh, not very well trained. And so he recognized uh, that if we're going to have any hope of heaven, uh, we're going to need supernatural intervention. At the very beginning of the Revolutionary War, uh, there were a number of defeats. Uh, General Washington and his armor fled Boston. Uh, they were defeated in New York. Uh, and he saw opportunity. Uh, if he could get to Trenton, New Jersey, uh, there was a group of uh, uh, Hessian German missionary uh, uh, soldiers there and uh, his aim was to get to Trenton and to take that uh, 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 that uh, and uh, go into battle against them and to get their equipment and to capture their men and to get some kind of victory going and so it was the famous crossing of the Delaware on Christmas of December 26th he had 5,400 men only 2,000 400 could get across. It was a bitterly cold, blizzard condition night. Uh, many of the men, uh, several of them died in the process from the freezing cold. They were ill-equipped. Some of them were barefooted uh, and they had to march, I think, 15 miles uh, and try to attack uh, Trenton uh, at dawn or at 8 o'clock in the morning. And they did that. And this was the flag that they carried into that battle. The German uh, uh, mercenaries were very well equipped. They were well fed. They 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 were well trained. They were professional soldiers uh, that had been hired by the British to fight uh, uh, against the colonies. Uh, and it was this flag that General Washington uh, carried into that battle. And of course, we won that battle, and that became the circumstance that turned the tide of events in that war. When you are outnumbered. When you have the odds against you, when it doesn't seem to be like there's anything you can do, when maybe you have suffered a number of defeats in your life, we have an option this evening. And I want to refresh you, and you may be aware of this in theory, 
But we have an option, and I want to present it to you in a way that I think can have real impact in your life. And that option that we have is that we can always appeal to the court of heaven for God to intervene on our behalf. When all earthly means are exhausted and you've come to the end of yourself and the odds are against you and you've suffered defeats and you're ill-equipped, you can take your case to God and you can take your cause to the court of heaven. That's precisely what is happening in our text. David has run out of options. He's hiding in a cave. Saul is chasing him down, and he just doesn't see there's any more that he can do. And so this text that we're going to read uh, is a picture of an individual in a court appealing to a judge because the person appealing can't do anything. He's tried, he's made an effort, he's run, he's fought, uh, he's done everything that he knows to do. And now as a last resort, he's stepping into a courtroom before a righteous judge, asking that judge to make decisions on his behalf uh, to set things right. So we're going to read this text, and I want to minister to you about uh, your appeal to heaven tonight. Psalms 142, uh, beginning in verse 1. David said, I cry out to the Lord with my voice, with my voice to make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before the Lord my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you, Lord, knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together to hear your word, Lord. I pray for the spirit of revelation to be at work tonight, touching every single heart, every single life, giving birth to hope and confidence that you, Lord, are a righteous judge who can set things in motion to intervene on our behalf. And we give you praise for it and we glorify you in Jesus' name. I want to talk, first of all, about when life closes in on you. And this happens to us. It has happened, it may be happening, and it will happen. And it is an all-too-common experience of life. And it's not a negative view of life. You and I should know by now, even though we're saved and born again, right with God, there are things that can work against us. Can you say amen? Christians can get sick. They can have financial and marriage problems. They can have a a, a boss who treats them unrighteously or unjustly. We know that pressures can mount up. Giants and mountains can appear, and they can cast a very dark shadow over our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. And remember, Paul is fulfilling his mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's right in the middle of God's will for his life. And he writes in uh, 2 Corinthians, this is the Amplified Translation, He said, we are pressured in every way hedged in, but not crushed. We are perplexed, unsure of finding a way out, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down and persecuted, but not deserted 
to stand alone. We are struck down, but never destroyed. In our text, David is confessing that he's in trouble and he's overwhelmed. And it wasn't a very uncommon place for David to be in during these particular years in his life. And remember, David has already been anointed to be king of Israel. He already is functioning in some measure of a greatly privileged position, having been selected by God to follow Saul as king. He was brought from obscurity. He was a shepherd boy, the youngest of his seven brothers. And God would eventually elevate him to become king of Israel. He would eventually become the richest man on earth. And he would win incredible battles. He would have great honor bestowed upon him and he would experience God's great favor. And it was many years later, and I've always loved this particular verse, uh, when David was king and he's uh, in the house of God and he's crying out in gratitude, amazed at all that God had done in his life. And he said, who am I, Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And so David is looking back at how far he had come from shepherd boy all the way up until... uh, becoming king, the richest, most powerful man on earth. But on the way there, David has a lot of trouble. Things don't always go his way. Although he's ordained to be king, he has favor from God, yet he can't control every event. And in our text, he said, I declare before the Lord my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed, Within me. The Amplified Translation says, when my spirit was overwhelmed and weak. Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you ever felt like you're uh, hemmed in and pressured in life and in trouble? So that's the testimony of a future king. He has ability and skill. He loves God. He's come to the end of himself and he has run out of options. That word trouble means uh, anguish or distress uh, or tribulation. Uh, The word overwhelmed means to be made to faint uh, as a result uh, of exhaustion. Uh, And David gets a little specific here about what he's talking about. And he mentions two things that are pressing in on him. First of all, the Bible tells us here that David has enemies and these enemies are trying to hurt him. An enemy can be one of two things. It can be an actual person who doesn't like you, who wants to harm you, who speaks against you. Someone is working against your interests and further wants to do you harm. It may be because of jealousy. It may be because of offense or betrayals. You may have offended someone and they can't forgive and so they rise up and they want to get even with you. That happens sometimes in life. Or it can be a spiritual dimension. The Bible says the thief, the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy Peter wrote in 1 Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So they're talking there about enemies. Jesus said we have an enemy. Peter affirms that we have an enemy that's like a roaring lion who is seeking to do you harm. And let's not be naive about that, whether it's an individual or Satan himself functioning in a spiritual dimension, he would love nothing more 
more than to bring harm, to debilitate, to demoralize, to discourage, to undermine your faith, and to bring you to a place of quitting and giving up. And in our text, David said, they, meaning his enemies, have set a snare for me, a trap, a trap hidden that suddenly springs up on you and causes calamity. I've had this occur. You're humming along in life, skipping along, minding your own business, doing the will of God, and all of a sudden uh, uh, you come upon a snare or a trap. It grabs your leg. It causes pain. It mounts up against you, uh, and it came came about uh, suddenly. David wrote in Psalms 102, my enemies reproached me. All day long, those who deride me swear an oath against me. And then secondly, in verse 4, he refers to the feeling of being alone and abandoned. And that may be the worst of all. The Amplified Translation says, I look to the right at the point of attack and I see there is no one who has regard for me. There is no one to act in my favor. Escape has failed me. I have nowhere to run, and no one cares about my life. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? You can be in church, you can smile and greet people, and 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 have fellowship and relationship, but inside we feel isolated, alone, nobody is connecting with me at the level of pain that I'm feeling, I feel isolated and alone. Remember, David has 600 men and wives and families and children, and yet the dick, the, 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 the greatest difficulties that, is, uh, that are happening in his life is this sense of feeling isolated, nobody is there, nobody can relate to what I'm going through, and he feels like he's got to fight his battles alone. No allies, no one to help him. He can't seem to make a necessary connection with anyone who can impart some kind of help and guidance and direction and strength and encouragement. That can happen in a marriage. You can feel isolated in your marriage. It can happen among friends, in a church, among brethren. David said in Psalms 102 again, I lie awake. And I'm like a sparrow alone. The way it is. I need another microphone. I don't know what happened, but oh, we got okay. Psalms 10.1, David said, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? And why do you hide in times of trouble? Well, he doesn't hide in times of trouble, but we can sure feel like that sometimes. God, where are you? Do you know, are you aware of what's happening in my life? So I want to talk to you about the court of heaven that you can walk boldly into. David recognizes this in our text. He recognizes that there is a court in heaven where a judge sits And as a last resort, after I've tried everything, I've tried reconciling with my neighbor, I've tried fixing my situation, I've done everything I know to do, but there is a court in downtown Rochester, as it were, that I can go and plead my case before a judge and get him to intervene on my behalf when there's nothing more that I can do. In verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint 
before him, I declare before him my trouble. If David could have done something about Saul, he would have. And there are plenty of examples of David taking action to get and render justice, but not here and not now. The setting of the psalm, as I've been saying, is that David is running from King Saul. He's now hiding in a cave. Saul has 3,000 men. He's trying to track David down and kill him. David can't stop him, but God can. David can't put an end to Saul's evil agenda, but God can intervene. Can you say amen? And so he goes to court. After he's run as far as he can run, he's fought all the battles he can fight, nothing has changed, Saul is still chasing him down, and he makes this appeal to God. David can't stop Saul, but God can. The word complaint in our text, when he said, I pour out my complaint before him. That's where we actually get the word plaintiff. It comes from a Hebrew word that refers to someone who is a complainant before a judge in a court of law. That's where you go when you've run out of options. Let's say you have a neighbor, and your neighbor is loud and noisy, and they have drunken parties with 30 bikers in the front yard, and you've tried talking to them, and they spit in your face, and they mock, and they ridicule, and there's nothing you can do. You've got your neighbors to try to talk to them, and this guy's belligerent. What do you do? You go into a courthouse. And you plead your case before a judge. You've done everything you know to do. You've tried everything you can to get this to stop. You haven't been able to stop it, but the judge can. Kingdoms have courts. And the kingdom of God is no different. One author said that the courts of heaven are a very real place that we as believers have access to. And in these courts... We can petition the Lord as our judge to render render justice on our behalf. Listen to what Daniel describes in Daniel chapter 7. He's seeing a, a picture of heaven. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the ancient of days, Jesus Christ himself is who he's referring to, was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. And the court of heaven was seated, and the books were opened. This is serious. This is where the formal business of the kingdom of God is going to be adjudicated. And one of the primary functions of any government are that they have courts. They're the most prominent buildings in most cities around the United States. Renee and I were driving around in downtown area of Rochester today. And one of the first big, nice, beautiful buildings we saw was the courthouse. God renders justice from his courthouse on your behalf. Proverbs says in verse 8 of chapter 20, a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. We do the best we can. We live life without involving a court and a judge and lawyers and all of those elements. But sometimes justice is beyond our reach, and that may be where you are now. You can't stop Saul, but God can. You can't stop the wave of 
uh, a violation that's coming against your life, but God can intervene. God can do something. A judge can make a decision and set things in motion. When you've run out of options and you don't know where to turn, you go to court. And that's what courts are there for. There was apparently, when I was researching for this sermon, uh, there was a reality show called Neighbors from Hell. You wouldn't know about that because you don't have televisions, most of you, but... Uh, that was a reality show, and so they, you know, they got um, uh, people writing in about their neighbors, and they would go, uh, and they would film it, and there was this one couple who bought a beautiful home. It was their dream home. They had two little kids. They buy this beautiful house, and the house next door was empty, and the real estate agent said, yeah, it's been sitting there. It's for sale, I think. I'm not sure. I don't have it listed, and on she went, but they sold this house, this young couple, this young family. They set up their swing set. Uh, playing in the backyard. They're taking walks along the sidewalk. It's a very leafy uh, kind of a neighborhood, beautiful home of their dreams. Uh, About two months after they bought the home, uh, one Sunday morning, uh, about 75 bikers pulled up on the front lawn of the neighbor's house. Uh, uh, One of the bikers had won the lottery and had bought this house, uh, and they proceeded to have a three-week sex orgy and beer bash cocaine party. uh, And, uh, and, I mean, it what do you do? Where are you going to turn? What's this little guy going to do with his wife and two little daughters? How's he going to stop this from happening? He goes to court. And he gets a judge to intervene and put a stop to the madness. You remember the story in Luke that Jesus told. Jesus spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me. I can't do it. You can. Get justice for me from my adversary. And you know that you would have already tried, made an effort, negotiated, talked, uh, pleaded, begged, and done all that she... And now she's going to court. Get justice for me from my adversary. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Courts have function. They have procedures. They have systems. And those resources are available to the citizens of America. We have a right to go into court and have our case heard. When someone is perpetrating injustice against us uh, and we can't do anything about it ourselves, the courts are there for your sake uh, and for your benefit uh, to help you when you can't help yourself. Judicial systems are in place to bring order to life, to bring justice to a situation. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Heaven is described as a courtroom. God's throne 
is a throne of judicial activity. Psalm says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O Lord. Mercy and truth go before you. Someone commented about that verse and said, this tells us righteousness and justice are the foundational structure of God's kingdom and his throne. In other words, this is what makes God's throne so powerful. True righteousness and justice flow from the Lord because this is who he is upon his throne. And the target of all justice is your life. When a judge hears a case, he makes a moral decision, doesn't he? I am behind what this woman is saying. She's being mistreated. She's being abused. And he makes a moral decision to act on her behalf. And when a judge makes a decision and decrees a verdict, it changes things. Why? Because he has authority. He can set things in motion. The book of Psalms says clouds and darkness surround the Lord. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. We know that earthly judges have power, but how much more is the power of God to set things in motion on your behalf to bring justice to your situation? So let's talk about the refuge that God's court provides for us. We live in a world, even for us, that can be very hostile, very unfair. Many of us have to bear up under the weight of injustice in life. Not everything is going to be rectified in this life, but we at least have a courtroom that we can go to here and now to make our appeal. David's reduced to hiding in a cave. There's no place for him to get justice. He can't acquire it for himself. Have you ever cried out to God, said, Lord, this isn't right? It isn't. It's not right that the future king of Israel is being chased down to be killed, and he's now hiding in a cave. There's something that's not right. Shouldn't be there. And that's precisely what the court of heaven is for. And that's where David goes in our text. Because there are powerful forces there. Not only is there a judge that can make a decision, but when he makes a decision, he sets things in motion. Law enforcement begin to act in relationship to the decisions that he's made if that's required. People have to pay money if if a judge makes a decision that requires that to occur. And he can literally force events to take place that you can't force to take place yourself. That's what judges do. There's another picture we have. Uh, of God's courtroom that Daniel uh, communicates again in Daniel 7. He's referring to the Antichrist in this verse, in verse 25 of Daniel 7. And he says, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He's going to get away with it for a little while. He's going to speak pompous words. He's going to persecute the saints. That's not right. But for a while, he's going to be able to do that. And he shall intend to change times and law. He's going to set himself up as a God. 
then the saints shall be given into his hand. It's not right. For a time and times and half a time. That's the three and a half years of tribulation that they're going to have to endure. But then the court of heaven shall be seated. And the court of heaven shall take away the Antichrist's dominion and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all his dominions shall serve and obey him. One day the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to render a verdict. The Antichrist is going to be stripped. The saints are going to be empowered, and we're going to be rejoicing, and we're going to be redeemed, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. So here's the procedure. Courts have procedures. And these are the procedures that you need to undertake right now as we get ready to come to this altar. When you come to the altar, you're going to step into God's courtroom and you're going to begin to make your appeal. So first of all, in order to get justice, you have to take action. Justice is not passive. It doesn't just happen. If you need justice uh, from a real judge, uh, you have to go through the process of going to court, making an appointment, uh, and getting yourself planted in front of him. The woman that I read about in the above parable that Jesus told, uh, she needs justice, uh, but she can't just stand there, do nothing, uh, and expect it to happen. She's got to go before the judge, uh, and she made the appeal uh, and said, I need you to get justice for me from my adversary. Courts have location. You have to go there. There's protocol in order to stand before a judge. In the book of Psalms, David again writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. When you go in front of a judge, you have to talk. You have to have your, 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 your case, your complaint. You have to write it down. You have to know what you're going to say or have a lawyer perhaps represent you. You have to make clear to the judge that's your responsibility. You have to make clear to the judge uh, what your complaint is. Uh, and in our case, you're going to do that in a few minutes before God. Secondly, a court is a place where your case will be heard. That is our right as citizens of the United States of America. When injustice is being perpetrated against you, we have that saying, you will get your day in court. That's what these courts are for. And this is part of our frustration. You may think, well, nobody gets me. Nobody understands. We make an appeal, but it falls on deaf ears. Uh, that may be until you go to the court of heaven uh, and stand before God and make your complaint known to him. Psalms 4.1, hear me when I call, O God. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. So the court is a place of relief. It's a place of refuge. We live in a hostile, evil world where injustice rules and reigns, but not within the four walls of a courtroom with a righteous judge sitting who's leaning into you, listening very carefully to what's bothering you.
The courtroom is a place of, well, it should be a place of refuge. For some people, it's not that, criminals and so forth. But in our context here, it's a place of refuge. And thirdly, it's a place where justice will be rendered. Decisions are made by God on your behalf when you appeal to him. Judges make decisions when they are appealed to to make decisions. If you're silent, if you don't go to court, if you don't make your complaint, nothing happens. Isaiah, remind me of your merits with thorough report. Let us plead and argue our case together. State your position that you may be proved right. A court is there. To listen to just causes and render judgment. And finally, the court of heaven is a place, as I said, of refuge for the battle-weary. Life can wear you out. And it is. Verse 5, David said, I cried out, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge. He's hiding in a cave, running from Saul who wants to kill him. 3,000 men chasing him down. And he escapes into the courtroom of heaven and says, You, Lord, are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You are my shelter. You are my allotment, my broad pasture that I can escape into and have real peace. So my appeal to you tonight, come to the court of heaven at this altar With God seated as judge, believing that you're going to get justice tonight. The wheels are going to be set in motion. A judge is going to render a verdict on your behalf tonight and begin to set things in motion that will bring justice to your life. Verse 6 of our text, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. I was talking about this sermon with Pastor Tom Paine, and he learned about this firsthand in a couple of ways. One of them is this story. They were building a a shed. Well, it's not really a shed. It's actually pretty much the size of the sanctuary, but a big storage building on their property to store all of their outreach equipment and so forth. So uh, his door director had a brother who had just gotten out of prison. And so they hired him, come on the property and work. Well, Tom uh, had bought a bobcat, a bulldozer to work on this project. I think they paid something like $30,000 for it. It was worth forty or forty-five. They got a good deal on it. And so the idea was, we'll buy it, uh, we'll use it, and then we'll sell it. Well, this guy stole it. They showed up one morning, and the bobcat was gone. They could follow the tracks. He had smashed through a chain-link fence around the property, driven it to the side of the road, and uh, put it on the back of a, uh, a flatbed of some kind and took off. And so they're all distressed about this. Their bobcat's been stolen. And so they're sitting around in a staff meeting, and the uh, uh, staff pastors are saying, well, look, let's get a hold of the insurance company. Tom said, I don't want no insurance company. I don't want no settlement. I don't want no payment. I want my bobcat back. That's what he said. That's Tom Paine. And so he went to the court of heaven. Two days later, a police officer 
uh, is following someone who has a taillight out. That's all, just a taillight out. So he pulls him over. And the guy says, well, I don't have my license or my insurance here, but I live around the corner. So the cop said, I'll follow you. So the cop followed him to his house. The guy gets out of the car, goes into the house. The cop gets out of his car, and he's just pacing back and forth in the front yard. He gets onto the driveway, looks into the backyard, and sees a bunch of heavy-duty building equipment back there, and he gets suspicious. So that's Tom's bobcat back there. Two days later, it's in Tom's property again. He got his bobcat back as a result of appealing to heaven. I don't want no insurance payment. I want this guy caught. I want my bobcat back, and I want justice. And that's what you have the opportunity to do at this altar. Courts can be scary. They are scary places for a lot of people in my church who've been incarcerated. When I start preaching on this subject, they, court, ooh, I don't like that. But if you have a righteous cause... And you present it to a judge, it becomes a place of refuge. It becomes a place where answers and solutions and justice uh, is brought to your case. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go to court. It's in session right now. When I say heads bowed, that's the equivalent of saying court is in session. It's located at this altar, and God the righteous judge is waiting for you to come And plead your case before him so he can render justice on your behalf. Let's bow our heads this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What a great atmosphere tonight. The song service, the worship, the spirit of this congregation being in a newly purchased building uh, a year or so ago. God has great things for you. And I'm privileged to have a little tiny, small uh, investment 39 years ago preaching here. Uh, in 1984, and hearing the good things that God's doing, you've had a number of great men pastoring behind this pulpit, and I believe God has great things for you. But as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, we serve God for a lot of reasons. We serve God because He saved us, because we love Him, because we don't want to go to hell. We serve Him because He is the only one who can forgive our sins. But sometimes we serve Him because... We need his help. And that may very well be the case in your life tonight. So I want you to think about what I've ministered tonight. Get yourself prepared to stand before the judge and present your cause. But before we do that, perhaps you've come to church tonight, and maybe you're not right with God. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have not yet been born again. Your sins, you've never had the experience of your sins forgiven. But tonight you can. You can know Jesus. You can know what the love of Christ is all about. I remember the day of my conversion as clearly as I remember getting up out of bed this morning. The day that I was born again was the most radical experience of my entire life. The day that my sins were forgiven, the day that God delivered me from my drug addiction and my alcoholism and began to deliver me from the spirit of suicide and depression. It was a day like no other, and this can be that day for you tonight. Have you run out of options? Are you lost without hope? You can run straight into the arms of Jesus Christ. He's waiting to welcome you tonight. And as our heads are bowed... 
Our eyes are closed. If that describes you tonight, I want to help you. And I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to work a miracle in your life. And I want to ask you to do one simple thing. And that is make a decision. Pastor, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not right with God. And I'm ready to repent. Tell God I'm sorry and receive Jesus as my Savior. And if that describes you tonight, I want to help you and I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to work a miracle in your life. And I want to ask you to do one simple thing. I want to ask you to just slip your hand up. Pastor, pray for me. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. In Jesus' name, lift your hand right up. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you once knew the Lord, but not now. Maybe the very thing I preached on, you got weary, overwhelmed, found yourself in trouble, got discouraged, and ran. And maybe you felt like David did. God, where are you hiding from me in the day of my trouble? You can come back to Jesus tonight, and you can find him tonight. You can stand before a loving, righteous judge who genuinely cares for your soul. And if that's you, you need to rededicate your life to Christ. I want you to lift your hand. Pray for me tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, let's all stand, can we, tonight? We need to go to court, don't we? I think so. There's probably not anyone here who does not have some area of your life where there's frustration and injustice. I want you to come to this altar right now and begin to take your case to God in Jesus' name. You know the injustice that I'm enduring in my family, in my finances, in my home. You know about the sickness, Lord. I am bringing it to you. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. We have a righteous judge that you can deposit your cares upon. He takes your burden in his own, as his own and he makes decisions to render judgment on your behalf. We're going to sing that chorus again. And I want you to pray, talk to God with clarity, just like you're actually in the presence of a very real physical judge. Lord, here is my cause. I'm bringing it to you so that you can render justice on my behalf. Amen. Let's sing that song again. You're praying and talking to God.
bubble, it's a precious life.